<clears throat> part four series of where we left off several weeks ago, Ephesians chapter number two. We're going to continue to look at uh, this idea of Christians doing good works. And I think it's important that we continue to maintain good works, as the Bible tells us to as Christians, and uh, not for salvation, but rather because we are saved. Christian that doesn't maintain good works is not really living out their God-given uh, responsibility as followers of Christ. I want to read Ephesians 2, we'll look at verses 8 to 10, and then toward the end I'll allude to a few more uh, verses as we close off the sermon. <clears throat> but before I read this passage, let's go before the Lord one more time in prayer and ask him to have his blessing upon his word to our hearts and that we would be focused and fixed at this moment and not be distracted. Let's pray. Father, we do come before you, Father, this morning, and we want to praise you and thank you for the God that you are. And indeed, you are a gracious and merciful, loving God. Father, you treat us far ever uh, better than we ever deserve to be treated. Uh, you care for us. You're long-suffering. You're not willing that we should perish. But you call us to repentance, to believe on your Son, our Saviour. And I pray, my Heavenly Father, if there be anyone in this room that hasn't yet called upon the Lord for their soul's salvation, that through this message, uh, Lord, you'd work in their heart, that they would see their need, they would see Christ, they would see, Lord God, the severity and the importance of being saved and forgiven and redeemed by the blood of Christ. For us that are saved today, we ask and pray that the love of Christ will continue to motivate us to do the very things, Father, you have called us to do as believers from the foundation of the world. That we would not abuse your grace, but rather let your grace teach us how to live as Christians. So, Father, I ask and pray that you would minister to us effectively, to, to our hearts, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2, look at verse 8 again here. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. In the first sermon, we looked at salvation being the gift of God, not faith. It's salvation that God has gifted every single one of us, and that salvation is motivated by God's grace or love received by faith. And God extended or demonstrated his love toward us by giving his son for us as a sacrifice for our sin. Second of all, in the second sermon, we looked at that uh, we uh, are not saved by works, but we're saved unto good works. So in other words, we're saved by God's grace. And uh, it, it is by grace uh, that God would redeem his people, save his people, not by works, lest any man should what? boast or puff up in that day no one's going to boast in that day and say lord i was a good person please let me in no it's not going to happen that way uh, the only good work that god recognizes in the sphere of salvation is the work of the cross of jesus christ however although we're not saved by good works god has called christians that believe to walk in good works and this is what we looked at in the second sermon in the third sermon we looked at the practicality of living out what god has ordained for christians how do we live out our, uh, this 
you know, walking in good works. And I, I gave you sef- several examples, although there's a whole Bible packed of, of principles and instruction for us in, to live in the Christian life. Uh, however, this morning I want to talk about, in the fourth sermon, uh, that the motivation to why we do good works is so important. Sure, God has called us to do good works. We're not saved, unto, uh, we're not saved by good works. We're saved unto good works, and we're supposed to uh, obey God and do good works. But what's the motivation for that? Uh, we must be careful uh, that our good works are not self-motivated or manufactured. In other words, let me say, uh, put it to you like this. We should not do good works to prove our salvation, but rather we do good works because we are saved by the blood of Christ. We're, we're not trying to put on a show. We're not trying to say to God or others, uh, look at me, I'm saved. It, it's not for that. And I don't believe James chapter 2 is, is giving Christians the wrong notion for service or good works. So, you know, we're not doing good works to show, to show our, our self-righteousness again or boasting, if you will, but rather we're doing good works for another motive which I want to talk about today. Second of all, we must be careful to maintain good works with the help, strength, grace and power of God. We're saved by grace through faith and God wants us to live by grace through faith. And, uh, and so Jesus said very clearly that without me you can do what? Nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. So well, oh, a whole heap of ungodly people and non-believers and carnal Christians do. You know, they do something, yeah, but you've got to understand, you, you, you cannot do that very thing that simply lasts for eternity. Those things that uh, pertain unto fruit that remain. Anything that has an eternal value has to be done in Christ by His grace. And also that's governed with a a motive that we're going to look at. Uh, We must be careful that our motives for doing good are not distorted. You know, uh, we must understand why we do what we do plays a huge part when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. When we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, God is going to, you know, judge believers for the way they worked or why they worked. And how they worked. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 4, 5, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsel of the what? Heart. Say it again, the counsel of the what? Heart. So God is going to reveal the heart of man in that day and the motive of man. And by the way, the Hebrews chapter 4 talks about that the word of God is the very thing that challenges, uh, challenges our motives. Let me just say this to you. Why are you here today? Why are you in church? Uh, is, it, is it so you can have brownie points with God? Is it because uh, you're, you're fearful that if you don't go to church, you won't be blessed? Or are you here in church because you want to love and worship God? You know, our motive plays a big part. A lot of people go to church out of fear. They serve God out of fear. They go because they might get, you know, cursed or whatever. Uh, and, 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 and it's the wrong motive. Then let me, the Bible says that he's going to uh, make manifest the counsel of the hearts. And look at this. And then shall every man have the praise of God. When God reveals the heart of man in that day. And, uh, and, and I don't know about you, but I want to be able to serve God, do good works with a proper motive. Our motive influences the way we serve the Lord and others. There's no doubt about that. The way we serve the God and others is governed by a motivating factor. What moves you to do good works? You know, a lot of un- unbelievers do good works. You know, 
people in this world do good works, but what, what's the motivating factor? Is it to boast? Or is it for another reason? 2 Corinthians 5.9 says, Wherefore we labour that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. You know, the apostle is simply saying, Paul is saying that we work and labour that we may please God. We want to uh, have his favour upon us. In verse 10 he says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be what? Good or what? Bad. Now listen, we're never, as Christians, going to be judged for our sin. Thank, thanks be to God that our sin was judged on our behalf on Calvary's cross. Aren't you glad for that? But every Christian will stand before God and give an, give an account for the work or the labor in which he had, uh, you know, simply labored with for God, whether it be good or bad. And, and that day will be declared, if you will, by fire to see what kind or what sort it is. And so this morning I want to look at three main things. I want to look at the motive for doing good works and then I want to look at the motivation for our motive and then the meditation for our motivation. You say, what does all that mean? Well, when we get in, uh, into these points, you'll soon find out. Let's look at the first one, the motive for doing good works. What should be our main driving factor, the main reason, motive for doing good works? Well, you may say, well, the simple answer would be obedience. And it's true. It is a simple answer. However, let me say this to you. It should be our obedience, that is, an expression of our love for God. Because Jesus said it best. He said, if ye love me, he says what? Keep my commandments. So yes, it's obedience because we want to obey God, but our, our obedience would be expression of our love for him. A person, listen, can obey God with a sour spirit. You believe that? Everything that God has commanded in the Bible, they can do it with a, a, a whining, sour spirit and submit to God's commandments out of obligation and duty. Now let me say, is it our duty? Yes. Is it our obligation? Absolutely. But God wants us to give, not grudgingly, but how? Cheerfully. So that's just an example. There's a cheerful uh, way of, of, of loving God in our obedience. We can obey God and still not love God or show that we love God. So not, you know, so a lot of people say, yeah, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And, but, you know, you can drag your feet to church or you can, you know, give grudgingly. You could uh, serve in a way that just simply, you know, the, again, we looked at the practicality of being hospitable. When you're hospitable to one, in, to one another, uh, don't do it in a way that is full of, you know, uh, burdensome. Don't, is it a burden to you to be able to do good works? It ought to be a joy. And that joy is found, listen, in the principle of uh, loving God. You know, if you follow this principle of loving God for every single commandment that God tells you to do in the Christian life, it will absolutely change the way you live as a Christ follower. I guarantee you. You know, God has given me responsibilities as a parent, as a husband, as a father, as a pastor. And if I look at that responsibility as, oh man, I, I just got to love my wife. Oh man, I've got to nurture my, my kids in the way of the law. That's what God's told me to do. So oh, if I look at it as just the command and the duty, then you know, it's not going to be a good motive. If I look at it as a God, you know what? I'm going, to, I'm going to love my wife because I love you. I want to rear up my children in the way of the Lord because I love you. I want to preach because I love you. I want to reach others with the gospel because you know why, Lord? I want to love you. If you look at every single command as an opportunity to love God, it will change the way you live 
as a Christian? What's the motive of doing good? It should be our love for God. Our love for God should be the motive. And I believe one of the greatest, one of the greatest examples that we see in, 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 in this is Abraham, no doubt. Abraham was a man that no, obeyed God. He did. He obeyed God, but there was a reason why he obeyed God. He was called a man of faith, and he believed God and was a friend of God, but there was a reason for that. Something, uh, uh, you know, uh, had driven him, or there was a motive behind his faith. And you know what? God tests Abraham to reveal that motive. You want to see it? Go to Genesis chapter number 22, please. And while you turn there, let me just say this to you, <clears throat> that loving obedience should be the outworking of our faith. Our faith should work as God calls it to with the motive of loving God or having a love for God. And over here, we see what drove Abraham to obey and offer Isaac as a sacrifice. You know, our biblical and profound answer would be faith, and we're right. So Abraham believed God. And, and, and that's 100% true. There's no doubt about that. But there was a governing factor that moved Abraham by faith. And when God proved his faith, the motive was revealed. I want you to uh, see in verse 1, we see God put Abraham to the test. And the test was to offer Isaac by, uh, as a sacrifice. And uh, he says in verse 1, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt. In other words, he proved or put him to the test. He tempted Abraham, or he tempted Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And again, Abraham demonstrated his faith by the willingness to give back the promise of God given to him. In verse 2, we see the specific command given here to Abraham. He says, he says Take now thy son, Thy only son, Isaac, look at this, look at this phrase in, verse, uh, in this verse, whom thou what? Okay, well that tells us something. God makes it known to us that he loved Isaac, and there's no doubt he would have loved his only begotten. Okay, he had no children, uh, 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 you know, uh, and he was waiting for this promise that God had given him. Finally, Isaac comes and he loves him. And he would be the very one also to picture things to come. And by the way, Abraham knew that. And he says, get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell of thee. So again, we see Abraham willing. In verse 3, he, was, he, he, he didn't challenge or question God at all. He but promptly obeyed. I want you to see it in verse 3. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and he took... Uh, two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and arose up and look at this and went unto the place of which God had what? Told him. He obeyed. He says, I'm going to show you where to go and uh, where you're going to sacrifice Isaac in that, in, that, in that land. And he went where God told him. He promptedly went, didn't argue with God. He obeyed God. So we see now Abraham was preparing, if you will, this sacrifice, or that the sacrifice is only begotten to God. We know he believed God. Look at verse 7, and Isaac, spoke un, uh, uh, and Isaac spoke unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, 
But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, my, my son, God, will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they both uh, went, uh, so they went both of them together. Now in verse 9 and 10, Abraham followed through and was willing by faith to sacrifice his own son. Look at verse 9 and 10. And they came to a place which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand, took the knife to what? Slay his son. So he's ready. He's put him on the wood. He's ready to uh, slay his son. By the way, let me just say this to you. Abraham knew that God was able to raise him up again. You know, Abraham knew in the resurrection. Uh, Hebrews 11:19 tells us, according that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him as a figure. He not only knew that God was going to raise him up from the dead, he knew that he would continue to fulfill his promise in so doing, but he also knew that Isaac would be a picture of the resurrection, or at least the picture of the resurrection of Christ and the resurrection day. He knew that Isaac would be raised and God was able to raise him to, feel, to fulfill the very promise given to Abraham. <clears throat> In verse 12, uh, sorry, verse 5, we notice an extraordinary faith by Abraham. Look at this. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad, that's Isaac, will go yonder and what? Worship. So to this, he took it as worshipping God, okay? Uh, that he was going to worship God. God required a sacrifice. Sacrifice meant worship. And he says, and I'll come again to you. Abraham knew that he was going to return with his son again. How? Well, I would say to, to you with, with the eyes of faith, seeing that God was able to raise him up again. He wasn't going to just be dead and buried. No, if Isaac was going to be offered by God, God was able to raise him up again and he saw it. Okay, I want you to just note that. But in verse 12, we see how he passes the test and his motive is revealed. Look at this. And he said, lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For look at this. For now I know that thou, what's those words there? Fearest God. Don't touch Isaac. Don't lay a hand on him. Why? Because God went to prove him. And he says, now I know that thou... Fear is God. Well, how did you fear God, Abraham? Well, have a look. Seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thy only son, from me. What, the, what does this tell us? Well, Abraham exhibited a faithful heart toward God, and he was willing to give his son whom he loved as an offering to God. In other words, God, he, Abraham loved God first, and he put God first before his son, Isaac. And that's worship. You say, but specifically it says here that he feared God. You know, to fear God means to be in awe of him. It's to believe that he is. And, and to be in awe of God is to see him as he is. It, it, it's to have a complete and utmost respect for God. It's to obey and love God. That's what fearing God is. As a matter of fact, the Bible says it's the beginning of wisdom. It's a good place to start because uh, God wants us to put him supremely first above all. And Abraham passed the test in, in putting God first. 
A lot of people would say, oh, I want to put God first. Well, putting God first is making sure that nothing that you love on this earth gets in the way of serving God. The motivation for the motive. How does a person develop this motive of love that should drive them to obey God? How? How? What is the motivation for the motive? I mean, uh, what motivated Abraham to obey, fear and love God above all? Well, if you look at Hebrews 11 verse 6, it says, Without faith it's impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that what? He is. It's seeing God for who he is. And I'm going to submit to you today this. God is good. God is holy. God is gracious. God is merciful. God is full of truth and righteous, altogether lovely. And, and, he's a, and Abraham saw that. He saw who God is. He is. He's a faithful God. He's a merciful God. He's a loving God. The motivation for the motive is to see who God is. And this is so important. Uh, Abraham obeying and fearing God was a demonstration of this faith, believing that God is good and gracious. In other words, the motivation for the motive is God loving us first. And I want you to see this in 1 John. Have a look at 1 John 4. Has a person loved God? How's a person fall in love with God? How? In order, me, in order for me to love, serve and obey God, how do I uh, get this love? Where does it come from? We'll look at uh, verse 1 in 1 John, oh, verse 7, sorry, in 1 John. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Okay? In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Now, get verse 10 here. Herein is love. Okay, where? Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be a propitiation for our sin. Now, brethren, let me say this to you. Uh, before we ever believed, and before we ever came to God, we didn't love God. We didn't love God. We didn't worship God. We didn't seek to please God by faith. Before we became unbelievers, you know who we loved? Us. We were lovers of self. We were lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. It's, it, there was no way in the world that we ever loved God uh, you know, when we, when, before our, our salvation. You say, well, I, I had a heart for God. I, I had feelings for him. But not in the way in which uh, a, a born-again Christian through the Holy Spirit of God gives you that love in order for you to continue to love God in a more perfected way that is not coveted or uh, simply governed by fear. Perfect love casts out fear. So this fear is a different fear than what we saw in Abraham. You know, the fear of the dread of God, the fear of, oh, oh no, no, no. If I know that God loves me, 
You know what's going to do? You know what's that going to do to me? It's going to draw me to Him. God loves me, and I can see that love demonstrated by Him giving His only begotten Son. That God laid down His life freely. Verse 19 gives us the motivation of love for Him. Look at verse 19. We love Him because He first loved us. So how do we see God's love for us? Have a look at the cross. Or how did Abraham see the cross? How did Abraham see Christ? Well, he said to the Pharisees, you know what? Abraham desired to see my day and he what? He saw it. He saw it through the eyes of faith. Abraham had God uh, reveal himself to him in a very special way. And, God, uh, and Abraham saw God through the eyes of faith and through the eyes of promise. God saw uh, Abraham saw God's love for him. And verse 9, look at this. And this was the manifest, manifested, this, sorry, and this love is manifested, sorry, and this was manifested the love of God toward us. How? Because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. You know how, you know how much God loves you? You know how much God loves you? Listen to me very carefully. God loves you so much that he was willing to give up his only begotten. You know, God, Abraham loved God so much that he was willing to give up his only begotten. God loves you so much that he gave his only begotten son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten. Brethren, that, that, that love is extraordinary. We, 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 as Christians, we look at that and we say, yeah, he loves us. Yeah, he, but that, that love, we need to step back and say, that's extraordinary love. I mean, who would give up their only begotten? Son, for someone. Uh, let me just say this, as Romans 5 says it, for enemies, for haters, for those that really didn't love God. Who would do this? But God commendeth his love toward us. And while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. What's the motivation for our love? For God. His love for us. It is his love that drove us to love him, to serve him. Or let me just say this, should. Don't you think so? It should be the governing factor of our life. It should be the very thing that causes us, if you will, to do the very things that God has called us to do. The love of God ought to cause a love in us for Him. I thank God for the cross of Christ. I do. You know why God has called us to break bread? So we can remember the love of God. You know, a lot of people, they don't care about breaking bread. Why? Because they don't really care about the love of God. You say, no, no, it's something else. No, no, no. Listen, if you love God, you will do what God tells you to do. And the one thing that God tells you to do that is not too hard is to come and remember him so we can continue to love him. I mean, this is something that's elementary. Don't you think? This is like ABCs of Christianity. And, uh, and God wants us to continue to fall in love with him by seeing his love for us that, listen, that we will do good works. 
And the reason why we obey Him, because we love Him, because He loves us, and it's the least that we could do. It's the least that we could do. Faith believes that He is loving toward us, and that He gave His Son, listen, to die for us. And you cannot be a believer without seeing the cross and the love of God demonstrated. You cannot. Because there at the cross you see the love of God demonstrated. You cannot be a believer. You cannot love God without seeing the cross in our time today. You cannot. Without seeing God's mercy there. Without seeing God's love. We see His love and we love Him. And we're grateful. And we say, Lord, what will Thou have me to do? Because we love God. You know what James says? James 2 verse 5 says, Hearken, my beloved brethren, have not God chosen the poor of this world, rich and faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he had promised to them that what? Wow! <laughs> you know why? Because that love relationship begins at the cross. That's where it begins. That's what John is trying to say. We never ever love God. And even if we do love God, it's because we've seen the cross and we see how God loved us and he laid down his life for us. He was willing to offer up his son for us and, and therefore we can conclude that we love him. And so God's love should be the source and motivation for our love and service to him. Amen? I want you to see Paul's example in this area. Have a look at 2 Corinthians, if you will, chapter number 5. I want you to see Paul's example here. And look at verse 14. 2 Corinthians 5, look at verse 14. Notice what the Bible says here. For the love of Christ constraineth us. For we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that, that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. But unto who? But unto him. Which died, uh, but unto him, which died for them and rose again. Well, what's Paul saying? Well, my motivating factor is, you know, the love of Christ. The love of Christ has motivated me, or let me just say, constrained me, arrested me. He's the one that simply uh, uh, drove me. He urged me and compelled me to live for Christ. It was his love. The reason why I live for Christ is because of the, the love of Christ. This is what he's saying. That's the motivating factor. The motivation and constraining Im impact of God's love in Paul's life brought him to the point to live for Christ. And that ought to be the motivating factor for our motive. We want to do good works because we love God. And we love God because we're loved by God. You know, this love motivated and compelled Paul to serve him. You know, Paul was willing to live for Christ and die for Christ. You know why? Because he knew the love of Christ. And when we know the love of Christ, when we truly know the love of Christ, it will compel us to love him back. Now, I want you to see the meditation for our motivation. So, what are you talking about here? Well, you know, we know and understand that when we look at the cross and how Jesus died for us and we meditate upon him and what he's done we, we, we see uh, this what the redemption he died for us 
But behind that death, there's a person. And, he, and, he's, and he's Christ who suffered. The suffering saviour, see? The, the meditation of our motivation is so important because even here in our passage, Paul says, for we, the, we thus judge. What do you judge, Paul? Why were you motivated? Why are you, why are you motivated by God's love? I'll tell you why, because I'm, I'm discerning and I'm judging that if Christ didn't do what he did, then would it all be finished? None of us will have any hope. And behind that death was a person, and it was Christ that died for us and rose again. Behind the cross, you will find, listen, the mercy of God and a willing uh, Savior that uh, freely laid down his life for us. Listen, he suffered for us. He was in agony right from the garden. He endured the cross for the joy that was set before him because he saw the will of God. And in the will of God, we, we, he, he saw that God wanted to redeem man. It was the only way. He was bruised, listen, for our iniquities. He was afflicted. He was punished for us. The meditation of our motivation is what's behind the cross. And what's behind the cross, brethren, is a suffering saviour that was willing to suffer as a lamb to the slaughter for our sin. I want you to see it. Go back in Ephesians 2. Look at this in Ephesians 2, chapter, uh, uh, verse 8 again. Ephesians 2, look at verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourself. God, you know, it was by God's grace, God's love that you're saved. Not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works. Any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus under good works, which God have before ordained that we should walk in them. Wherefore remember that ye, being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision, in the flesh made by hands that at the at that time ye were without Christ being aliens from the Commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the what the covenants of the promise again which made was made to Abraham fulfilled in Christ look at look at this having no hope no hope you had no hope outside of God's promise to Abraham that was unconditional uh, you had no hope outside of Christ and without God in the world. But look at this. Look at verse eight, 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, who, ye who were sometimes, uh, sometimes were far off are made nigh. How? By the blood of Christ. That's the, that's the meditation of our motivation for the motive of doing good. Listen, brethren, how did God love us? He, he gave us his son. Yeah, but what did his son do on the cross? He died for us. Yes, but he bled. There was suffering behind that. There was suffering behind the Savior. There was suffering there was blood that was shed. There was blood that was spilt. What was behind the atonement of Jesus Christ? Suffering, shedding of blood, sacrifice. 
You know, it wasn't easy what he went through. He endured the cross. Precious gift. Precious, but expensive. Expensive. You know, this is why it is a crime to reject Christ. It is a crime to, 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 to spit in God's face and say your uh, son is not good enough. Uh, 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 we can do our way and, and, and we can self-govern and we can do it religiously. It is a crime to trample on the blood of Christ, to reject Christ, especially coming uh, to the knowledge of Christ and the knowledge of the truth and the suffering Savior. It is a crime before God. To some he's despised. He's a saver unto death, but those that believe he's a saver unto life. We understand that he's precious and that meditation is our motivation to have a proper motive in serving God and loving God. The moment you lose sight of what Christ has done in the suffering Savior is the moment you can go back to serving in the flesh or out of fear or religiosity or all the, all the rest of it. We cannot forget the suffering Savior. We cannot forget what Christ did for us. What, what was the result of the blood of Christ being shed for us? Here it is. To atone for our what? And that means mercy that means forgiveness. You know, the Hebrew writer, if you want to see, Hebrews chapter 10 says, By the which we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifices for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Look at verse 16. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, say the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and into their minds and I will write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. <laughs> now, where remission of these is, there is no more offering of sin. If you're a believer here and you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior from, from as far as the east is from the west, God has uh, uh, canceled your sin. He has blotted it out. He remembers it no more. And that's because of the blood of Christ. The atonement. Listen, I've got many sins that were accounted for. And that day when I saw the suffering Savior, I, I, I look, listen, Without the suffering Savior, I was condemned. I realized not only I was going to hell that day, I realized I deserved it. But when the precious gospel, the saving grace, amazing grace, appeared to my ears and said there was a man that God had sent his son to die for me and he wanted to forgive all my sin, I said, Lord, I need this. That's what brought me to the cross. That my sin will be forgiven by the blood of Christ. Motivated by the mercy of God. No, David saw it. He saw the value. He meditated on the blessing it is. He, he, he said this, Blessed is he whose transgression is what? Who, who, whose sin is what? 
there, there it is. As a matter of fact, Romans 4 repeats that. By faith, he saw the covering of his sin from the Messiah. How was that going to be executed? I don't know, but I know that God forgives sin. And he's going to have mercy on me. And he's going to send his uh, Holy One, his, his Messiah, the Redeemer of Israel. And, and you didn't have to convince David that he had sinned, did you? <laughs> David knew he had sinned. Look at Psalm 51. And he was at the mercy of God. As a matter of fact, Psalm 51, that's where he begins. At the mercy of God. How did God show his mercy? Suffering Savior. The blood being shed for my sin. And I look at that and I say, forgiven, forgiven. You know, he paid, he paid on that cross for our sin in full. Said it is finished. Part of that finishing was the down payment for sin. Satisfied God's heart. For me and for you. The meditation of our motivation for us to love him and serve him out of gratitude, not obligation. You know, we've been given a stewardship, the Apostle Paul said. The dispensation that is given to him to preach the gospel, a stewardship. And if we do it willingly, we get a reward. Not that he was unwilling. Do we have an obligation? Is there a, is there a like, I'm indebted here? Yes. But it must be governed by the love of God and by the suffering Savior. Else, listen, brethren, you won't be able to, to, to do those works that would pass the test in that day. You do it for the eyes of men burnt up you do it for the glory of men burnt up you do it to earn brownie points with God burnt up you do it because you love God and you want to please God because he loves you and he sent his son Jesus to die for you and, and shed his blood for you and forgive you of all your sin you're forgiven if you're saved you're forgiven 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 you know I'm going to close with this and we're done with this passage. A woman that understood how to love because she knew how much she was forgiven. Luke 7, I want you to see it. No matter how many times I read this passage, whether I'm reading my Bible through, or whether I hear it in a preaching or preaching it myself, I am blown away by the extravagant way. Listen to me very carefully. She worshipped the Lord. Luke 7 verse 36. Now, the Bible says that the, this woman, we really don't know her name. She was a sinner. 
And the Bible says in verse 36, And one of the Pharisees desired him, Jesus, that is, that he would come and eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. In verse 37, we see this woman in the city come and, and, and present her sacrifice to the Lord. She, she had this affection, if you will, this love, this adoration for him. In verse 37, behold, a woman in the city which was a sinner. She was known to be a sinner. We, we, we don't even know if that was perhaps a woman like the woman at the well or a woman that was caught in adultery somehow that realized the grace of God upon her life that Jesus never came to condemn but to save. He never came to destroy men's life but to save them and forgive them. Have a look. And began to wash, oh, sorry, verse 37 uh, when, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster box of what? Ointment. Perfume. And that, look, if you wanted to, work, if you wanted to show some service or some sort of, uh, you know, a worship, if you will, uh, this is what, what, what was one of the ways to do it. And have this ointment, this perfume, to pour it upon him would have been a, a declaration of her love and adoration and sacrifice. It wasn't cheap. It was expensive. And she, she verse uh, 38, we see her extravagant desire, affection, worship. Extraordinary. Have a look. And stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Wow. Can you, can you imagine this? She's at his feet. She's weeping. She's got the box of perfume there. She's at his feet worshipping. She's, she's crying and with her hair, she's wiping his feet that are dirty and dusty. Mind you, at this point, Simon hadn't even washed his feet, nor given him anything to wash. So his feet would have been dirty and dusty. And this, this woman that is a sinner is at his feet, weeping and crying and washing his feet with her tears and her hair and then pours perfume. Wow. Not only wants to clean them, but anoint them. Where'd this woman come from? Now, this is a true account. Believe it or not, I believe it. What, is it, is it hard, hard to believe that there are people out there that love God? Is it hard to believe that there are people out there that are willing to sacrifice and they don't care about what others think, whether they're going to be embarrassed by the onlookers? She didn't care. She didn't care. Well, how did Simon react? With displeasure. Not only for the woman, but also with Christ. Have a look at verse 39. And now when the Pharisees which had bidden him saw it, Pharisee, which had bidden him so he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, he would had known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. Well, and you're not, Simon. You're not a sinner, Simon. I mean, you well, no, 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 she's got a bad reputation. She's a scumbag. I mean, we all know her in the city. Well, maybe she's a repentant scumbag, amen. Maybe she's come and experienced God's love and, and forgiveness in her life, Simon. Did you ever know that? Uh, or do you think you're, you're okay but you're, by your own 
you know, self-righteousness and sacrifice and uh, looking down at the publicans and sinners and harlots, perhaps she was, uh, you know, and he, Christ, gives him a lesson. And what a lesson for all of us. Have a look. In verse 40, Jesus gives Simon an important lesson and helps him focus, listen, and meditate on her motivation for her act of love towards him. Verse 40, Jesus answered and said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. He said, say on, say, and he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon, ans Simon an answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thy house, thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears. She wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman since the time I came in hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst anoint not, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wow. What? He just, she could, the, Simon didn't even give him, not even one sign of affection. And back in, even in the Arabic culture, people come in, you'd kiss them perhaps three times. One, on, two, three. Well, it wasn't uncommon for the Jews to, to give a holy kiss of welcome. Well, you didn't even kiss me, Simon. She can't stop kissing my feet, let alone my face. As a matter of fact, she didn't anoint my head, she anointed my feet that were dirty. And by the way, you see, why did he receive that worship? Because we know that he was the God-man. I mean, we don't have to get into the deity of, deity of Christ, but let me just say this, he is the God-man. He received worship because he deserves worship. He's, God, he's the God-man. And you have this woman showing this affection, this, this, this uh, worship, this love. You can't say she didn't love him. I mean, all that, you're gonna say, oh, she, no, that was love. And so now he gives Simon, this is the key, the meditation of her motivation for her extravagant love given to Christ. What is it? Don't miss this, verse 47. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. You say, what, what's Jesus trying to say? Let's go commit sin so we can be forgiven, so we can love him? No. He's just simply saying that the life of sin that she lived in comparison maybe to you, Simon, the reason why her gratitude and love is because she had realized how much she has been loved and forgiven. So therefore she loves much. Does that mean Simon didn't have sin? No, he did have sin. Did he have little? Maybe in comparison. But come on, man. Whose heart is not full of iniquity? Whose mind is not simply filled with sin and, 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 and wickedness? The heart is wicked, desperately wicked. As a matter of fact, Paul, who was a religious man, said, I am the chief of sinners. 
You just have to say your wicked heart. And sometimes our wicked heart is camouflaged by the self-righteous religious acts of men. We need to see our heart the way God sees it. And when you see your heart wicked and wretched in the light of God's word and, and in the light of the Messiah and God's, God's ultimate plan, you, would, you will say and fall on your face like Isaiah and say, Woe is me, a man of unclean lips. What do you mean, Isaiah? Weren't you called from your womb, separated? Yeah, he was, but he still saw himself to be a wretched, wicked, undeserving sinner in, 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 in thr and thrust himself at the mercy of God. Do you see yourself a sinner that needs God's mercy and forgiveness? Do you realize how much have you been forgiven or how much he wants to forgive you? This is what drove her. Because behind the love of God was the forgiveness of God. And she saw it. She saw how much God loved her by forgiving her. Brethren, do you want to work a work of love and obedience toward God? Don't forget, listen, how much you've been forgiven. You're forgiven. He's pardoned you. He's shown mercy to you. You know why there is people in hell right now? It's not because God never wanted to forgive them. Because they didn't want to be forgiven. Why? Because they love their sin. They spit in his face. They love their sin. They don't want they love it. Well, this woman saw her sin and saw the mercy of God somehow in her time. And when you look at that cross, you see God's mercy and you see God's uh, Son, His bloodshed for your sin. We are forgiven by the blood of Christ, by the mercy of God. And that, my friend, is the meditation of our motivation, which is God's love, for our motive to serve God. Can I say this to you? Did the church of Ephesus serve God? Did they serve God well? Yeah. They did everything that they were supposed to do as a church. What happened to them? What did they leave? Their first love. Brethren, our motive for why we serve is so important. You want to go and live for God and serve God outside of God and, 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 and fellowship with God and, and, and doing the first works, which is adoration and worship and kissing at it. Come on. You want to go and worship God outside of that? So you could say, well, these people were worshipping God out of love. Well, how come they weren't in fellowship with God? Our motive makes a difference. And that's why the Bible says to us here in John 15, 8, Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. 
And so shall you be my disciples. As my Father hath loved me, so I have loved you. Continue ye in my love. How do you do that if you're not abiding or continuing or walking with the Lord in fellowship, loving Him, worshipping Him, adoring Him, praising Him? How do you do that? You want to bear fruit that remains? This is the key. Uh, Jude says, keep yourself in the love of God and in the what? Mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Unto what? Well, there you go. And of some have compassion, making a difference. Now, maybe some of you is here, the sermon's over your head, or you're indifferent. I hope not. I really hope not. I really hope and pray that every one of us, our motivation will be always in check. That we could simply meditate on the love of God in our life through His Son and see what we have in Him to cause us to worship. You remember when you got saved? How you, you said you worshipped Him and you said, Thank you, Lord. What, what happened that day? You were forgiven. You knew you were forgiven. Yeah, you saw the love of God. You saw what Jesus did and you were forgiven. That's what happened. Well, that very thing that you saw the day you got saved needs to be carried on for the work of God in your life. Amen? Yeah. For holiness, holy living, motivation, and for service, that very thing. Never leave your first love. Do the first works and serve God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.